Hello. Hi, how are you all doing? Uh, this is Dr. Scoff and the Prof. I am Dr. Clay Granson, a senior lecturer in marketing. My name is Bryce Evans, associate professor in history. How you been doing, Bryce? You, you well? Uh, very well. Yes, um, I'm very well today because, well, look, if I could just uh, divert away from food for a second, there is no football currently taking place, it seems, anywhere in the world, apart from Belarus. Uh, and so um, myself and quite a few friends of mine have been uh, avidly following the Belarus, Belarusian Premier League. Uh, and my team uh, today, um, FC Slotsk. Um, yes, you heard that correctly, FC Slotsk. We, uh, it's, it's a city about 60 miles south of the capital of Belarus, Minsk. Um, big game today against one of the top teams in the Belarus Premier League. Uh, we were away from home, but we won 3-2. So I'm delighted, delighted with that result. Got, got a lot of time on your hands, have you, Bryce? Um, well, I think we all do, don't we? And, yeah. Uh, I think, well, this uh, episode is kind of uh, devoted to, um, I suppose, keeping in line with our Corona special editions to make sure we're keeping everybody's pecker up. And to do with sort of uh, diets very loosely, and I suppose one thing people have got on their hands. Um, well, in recent years, well, you're a bread maker, aren't you? Do you make your own bread? I do make some. Yeah, I do. I do. I don't have a starter knocking around like a sourdough starter in my kitchen, but yeah, I've, you know, make a few bits of bread, different ones. Well, in recent years, obviously, there's been a bit of a boom in popularity of bread making, and um, that was the first thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, actually, was the um, did an interview with uh, NBC, uh, the American news service, last week about um, what well, I was contacted by this journalist, and he was saying to me, "How do we explain the resurgence in Britain of the national loaf? Uh, have you heard of the national loaf before?" No, I haven't. No, the national loaf was a special wartime loaf, and you, you saw this in a lot of countries during the Second World War. And when you're making bread, one of the really important things is the extraction rate. So the extraction rate is the percentage of weight extracted from the whole grain to make flour. So the whiter bread, you'll have about 70% extraction. Brown flour, wholemeal is more sort of 85% and above. So the healthier stuff is a higher percentage extraction rate. So during the war, to conserve supplies and to make everyone healthier, they introduced darker breads because in the milling process, you're actually saving uh, supplies in terms of yield it's better productivity it's better for people and he was saying to, and it actually came as news to me that there's been a resurgence in people making this healthier bread during this crisis in britain wow well i think there's been a trend away from white bread f for a while for a few years certainly maybe even almost 10 years so you can see on the shelves for instance there are more other varieties of bread so yeah uh, you know, the, the traditional white loaf, which, um, you know, if you went back to sort of the 80s, 90s, probably further back, that was a, a mainstay, certainly in our lunch boxes. Yeah, the, the sliced white loaf. But that was what really what I was saying to your man in the sense that this idea, um, which was news to me, that there'd been a sort of resurgence of the quote unquote national loaf, which of course was a loaf introduced by the government. It was pretty unpopular at the time because people didn't really, you know, get the dietary benefits to the same extent we do today they want to eat white bread um and i was saying to him yeah along the lines of what you said there that i think it's been a move towards that for a number of years been a move towards bread making but also uh you've probably noticed that flour white flour especially is something you can't get hold of in the supermarket shelves uh, in this country at the moment and um 
I was actually positing to him that it, you know, it, much like with pasta, you saw the whiter stuff disappear first. And a lot of what was left was the darker stuff. And a lot of what probably people are knocking around their kitchen cupboards might be the darker stuff, the, the, the sort of whole wheat stuff. So explain this to me. The loaf was made by the government and distributed to the public, or is it, how, how, did, it, how did it work? They instructed bakers, millers, that they had to be making darker bread to conserve supplies and to, to make people healthier. So they, the bread had to be 85% extraction rates which basically just means darker bread now it's quite interesting in turn, and they also fortified the bread with calcium and other vitamins really yeah it's quite interesting that the the british government really gets it right with an 85 percent extraction rate in ireland for example they actually go because supplies are so short in ireland and wheat they go with 100 percent extraction rate so that's a very black bread which sounds very healthy but it has too much uh, what's called phytic acid in it, which inhibits your absorption of calcium. And therefore, in Ireland during the Second World War, there was an upsurge in rickets amongst wow. kids. Uh, whereas the British loaf, although it was very unpopular, 85% is about the rate of extraction you get today with your whole wheat, with your sort of browner, seedier um, loaves. So they kind of got it about right. Although, like I said at the time, unlike today, you know, it was very unpopular um, to, to eat the darker bread. And was it unpopular because people had lost the choice or was it unpopular because people just didn't like the flavour or does anyone know? I think throughout history, like people have wanted, until I think very recently, until we've become more diet conscious, the, 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 the great mass of people always wanted whiter bread. If you think back to, you know, centuries past, white bread sort of seemed purer. It, there was less chance of it, it was being adulterated with any nasty stuff. Uh, it, there was this impression that whiter was purer. It obviously kind of tastes better as well, you know, to some palates. Um, and people at the time were very much used to their white, you know, cheap white loaf of bread, and they really didn't like this darker bread at the time. Whereas today, you know, now people are a bit more diet conscious, nutrition conscious. That situation has changed. So again, with your man from NBC, I was sounding a little bit of a note of caution. As you know, I think we can learn a hell of a lot in surviving this crisis around food from wartime parallels, but. Whether we, this idea that we've got a national loaf now is some kind of uh, symbol or example of a kind of resurgence in keep calm and carry on spirit, I'd be a little bit more wary of because I think people are kind of making a darker loaf because basically they can't get any white flour. You just can't get hold of white flour at the moment in the supermarket. Right. You've been in the media quite a bit recently over what? Is it the last two or three weeks now? It's been a bit of a laugh, yeah. I mean, I think it's because like, obviously I do a lot of work around food and, and wartime and you know let, you know let's not try and compare everything to the war we're not in a war there's no bombs falling but unfortunately whether you like it or not in this country uh and in a lot of countries the closest thing to this kind of national emergency that people have in popular memory is the war so inevitably people are looking i suppose back to to the war to, to both world wars right well i i did a bit of uh research because i knew we were going to be talking a little bit about i guess diets but changing of our diets maybe and i went back and had a look at some of the stuff that i teach so i was trying to find some good sort of fad diets in the last hundred or so years uh, some oh, of the yeah. ones that i should say the um the reason i suppose we're looking at this is there have been there's been a rise with this coronavirus crisis hasn't there in uh some very foolish people uh suggesting that you can eat your way out of it that if you adopt some kind of fad diet 
then it will make you immune to coronavirus. But, you know, as we know, good nutrition equals better immune system, sure. But we're not even going to give those fad diets the publicity that they don't deserve because, let's be clear, no fad diet is going to give you immunity to coronavirus. So we're not even going to... Before we go on to fad diets, we're not, even, we're not even going to give those fad diets today the press, are we? No, I think some of the ones I'm going to mention as well, I, I would strongly advise against, actually. I think, I think some of the ones that, uh, as I was saying, some of the ones that came straight to mind was um, smoking. I usually show my students uh, different uh, smoking ads from sort of the 20s all the way up to the 90s till they sort of got banned off the telly. Yeah. Obviously, if you go back and have a look at some of the really early ones you can see uh doctors smoking and uh you know physicians of all types saying how what their favorite brand is so on and so forth but the one that jumped out was uh one from lucky strike in the 20s and the slogan was reach for a lucky strike or lucky should i say instead of a sweet so smoking to stop yourself eating yeah it's it's yeah i mean it's one of the reasons marketing i guess gets a bad name some of these terrible marketing ploys in the certainly the 20s 30s 40s 50s around smoking was uh, was a, in today's standards and actually any standard was abhorrent um but, but but not to um let the tobacco industry off the hook here but it's fair to say as well that the medical understanding back in the 20s at least and and beyond actually you know was not up to what we know now about the sort of dangerous effects of smoking was it? i mean you used to get a lot of adverts you know 50s especially that you know if you smoke uh, certain brands of cigarettes, it's better, it's very good for your throat, you know, that kind of thing. But also the medical understanding wasn't up to scratch either, was it? Well, allegedly not. Although those of you who want to go down the rabbit hole, you can read about the conspiracies behind, uh, behind that. I mean, there's talk of some of these people taking quite large bungs from the tobacco industry. The tobacco sure. industry suppressing medical... Uh, experiments results of well but again alleged stranger things have happened i mean there's a lot of we've done food and conspiracy previously haven't we and there's an awful lot of conspiracy flying around currently about this uh, corona stuff I mean, there is just as an aside i don't know if you saw the pictures of uh, empty supermarket shelves, empty alcohol shelves a couple of weeks ago in big supermarkets here no alcohol on the shelves of supermarkets apart from crates of corona the mexican lager um, Indeed, people had left there for fear that somehow they might contract Corona through drinking Corona. Yeah, pretty strange that people would, would connect the two, but there we go. Do you want to hear some of my other crazy fads I found? Oh, yes, please. One of my favorite ones that I've read, and I knew about this previously as well, but I just read up on it a bit more, is uh, people swallowing tapeworms. Okay. So there's a tapeworm diet. Uh, it's been around for, well, I'll put a caveat on this. There's dubious writings about this throughout history, but uh, certainly in the Victorian era, it has been said that it was used, I guess, as a diet. So you swallow a tapeworm. If you don't know what a tapeworm is, usually get it from consuming pork, fish, or beef. So any of you out there that um, enjoy a rare steak, I'm one of them, uh, you're more likely than someone who has a uh, well-done steak to get a tapeworm naturally, I guess. I say naturally. And what happens is the worm will grow inside of your stomach and it will eat part of the food that you're consuming. And obviously, the bigger it gets, tapeworms get very, very, very big. Uh, the more nutrients it takes from you. It's obviously a parasite. My mum always used to think I had worms, Bryce. Did you know that? Did you couldn't stop eating? Yeah, but it was just, I was just a tubby boy. <laughs> 
Well, I tell you what, like there's a lot of people out there who are obviously, you know, beset by fear at the moment, which maybe explains odd shopping behaviors such as not going near Corona Lager from Mexico. And you're just, you know, making people's nightmares even worse now with your very, very scary tales of worms up inside you. Well, you know, it's one way to lose weight, I guess. Uh, there, there were celebrities um, in the 60s that allegedly did this to, to lose weight, but um, it's not... Uh, Sorry, do you mean they had a, a tapeworm insert? They tried to get a tapeworm, or they had somehow had some sort of... No, they, you, swa- you can swallow, you can buy and swallow the eggs, and then they hatch inside of you, and you, you get a tapeworm inside of you. Yeah, hey, do you know what, kids? Don't have nightmares. Don't, no. No. What are my other finds, I guess, or refines, I should say, actually? I, I hadn't read about this for, for um, a few years, but in the 80s, there was an appetite-suppressing candy in the, in the US called AIDS. Okay, you mentioned the 80s, so I, I'm guessing this is coinciding perhaps with the, uh, another public health crisis at the time, the AIDS pandemic. Indeed, and as you can imagine, very similar actually to the example you gave before about Corona. People saw the link or thought the link between the words and anyway, AIDS, the candy, uh, did not survive. That one I thought was pretty uh, pretty interesting anyway, that there was an appetite suppressing candy, candy chocolate. So what's the moral of the story? If you're a, a food manufacturer, uh, not to give your products the the name of a pandemic yes stay clear of pandemics yeah that my would... my uh my black death um candy line is not gonna do very well then certainly not no no it Back wouldn't throw board again yeah yeah but the last one was one called the sleeping beauty diet oh well this sounds good it does sound good but it's, it really isn't essentially you are drugged and you end up sleeping most of the day and therefore because you're a good logic here, you don't eat. Ah, I see. Yeah. And allegedly Elvis was a, a one to have tried this. Although, from what I read, I don't know how, how much I believe that. It seemed a bit dubious. But um, it is an actual diet and it was practiced by people. They just drugged themselves so that they were fast asleep and therefore they couldn't be awake to shove chocolate and all those other lovely things into their face. Well, my goodness, I mean, I suppose the other moral of the story here is just, you know, have a bit of cop on. Don't, um, don't attempt any of these crazy fad diets. Yeah, I think those four, smoking, tapeworm, appetite-suppressing candy, and drug-induced comas, don't do them. None of those are good. <laughs> Not even if the likes of Kim Kardashian is saying... Have a go at this. It's 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 great crack. It'll you know it'll it'll reduce your weight. Don't be tempted. Don't do don't do any of those in any combination either. Yeah, stay at home, save lives. Okay. Don't do fad diets. Don't do fad diets. So Bryce, what's on the cards this week? Are you uh, are you going to be in the the media again? Should people look out for you? Well, I've to be honest with you, the thing that's taking up most of my time now is corrections on this book i'm doing on airline food and you know i should be in atlanta right now i had uh, i won a, a fellowship to go to georgia state university to look at the archives of eastern airways one of the giant airlines of yesteryear in america to look at that theme of food and aviation and instead here i am sitting in liverpool 
Um, not that I'm bitter, of course. I mean, you know, a lot of things have to suffer during this crisis, even my foreign junkets. But um, I'll be working essentially on that theme because I've got to do corrections to my airline food book. So I'm going to be good and busy. How about yourself? How are you going to spend the next, uh, well, what, weeks? I've got to write up some research I did recently where I went off to uh, America, actually. Just, uh, just rub it in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I actually went, yeah. Um, we, yeah, some, it's nothing to do with food, so probably not, not really that relevant to what we're talking about. But yeah, I've, I'm, I'm going to be busy enough, as I'm sure you, you'll be. But we will have to plug your book some more, obviously, as, we, as it ramps up, as we get closer and closer to the date of it being yeah. released, we will certainly talk about it some more, I'm sure. Brilliant. I mean, we, we're not sponsored on this podcast, but, you know, we're not above um, shameless promotion either, are we? No, no, of course not. No, 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 no. Especially if it's self-promotion. Well, exactly. I think we should leave it there. I guess the, the message we always uh, leave everybody with at the moment is stay safe, look after each other, look after others if you can. Stay at home and cook and um, perhaps make some of this, you know, darker bread, the, the national loaf. Uh, if there is a resurgence in this, then yeah, we'd love to hear about it. If people are home baking, if people are baking darker bread as part of the way to cope with this crisis, great, let us know about it. Great. I think we'll leave it there, Bryce, eh? So from, uh, from me, goodbye. And from me, goodbye.